in, as it were. Um, I felt that I should come, um, and uh, trust the Lord will just bless us together. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here uh, to worship the great God of heaven, to hear your word read and proclaimed, to have fellowship with your people, and to meet with the living God. Oh, Lord, bless us now, we pray. Undertake, as you know, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, those of you who were here a month or so ago when uh, I took the service, you may remember that I said, God willing, I want us to go through 1 Samuel on the Sunday mornings when I'm preaching here. And so we started um, 1 Samuel. I'm just going to do a very brief recap on this book. The key verse, I think, to understanding 1 Samuel it's actually not found in 1 Samuel, but it's found in Judges 22. We don't need to turn to it, but I will read it uh, to you. In Judges 22, 21 and verse 25, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So here is uh, the state of Israel, a terrible state really, the book of Judges, if you know it, up and down, blessings and problems and battles and victories and defeats and so forth. And the big problem was they had no king, they had no leader that they wanted. They needed God to lead them, but they weren't so happy and keen on that. They really wanted a king. And so we come into Samuel, and that's the concern of the people. We want a leader, we want a king. And so uh, often um, commentaries on this uh, book would say, uh, the need for a leader, the need for a king. And we go, as you go through it, you will see um, uh, Saul and David and so forth. And, and the, the objective, if you like, the big message of what Samuel is, the need for a king to lead us. And it's pointing, obviously, to the great king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through it, I trust we'll see some things that will be helpful to us, bless us, challenge us. And uh, this is what I call this morning bread and butter stuff. It's things you know about. I don't think there'll be many new revelations, as it were, but things we need to hear again and seek to apply to our hearts and lives. The Lord will bless us, encourage us, and challenge us. Now, we started off by saying that uh, the people mentioned in verse 1 are mostly unknown. Uh, we don't know them from anywhere else. Uh, and... We thank God that he uses people who are unknown. And he can choose whom he will and work through whomsoever he will. And particularly this man called Elkanai. And he had two wives. We, remember, we mentioned that, uh, which told us a few things. Firstly, that he was wealthy enough to support two wives. Some of us had enough problems looking after one, some would say. But he had two wives to look after. And he could afford it, presumably. And the reason he had two wives seems that obvious that the one wife was really the first, Hannah, she didn't have any children, and he wanted children, wanted an heir to carry on the inheritance, and so he has another wife, Penaya, who actually gives him children, but Hannah doesn't have any. And then we went through it, I say, won't go through it all again, that they go up to worship. Um, worship is important uh, for uh, this little family. Uh, verse 3, and this man went up out to the city to worship, to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. They go up to worship. And they go up as a family, 
and uh, Anna is there, she has no children, Penny is there, and she has daughters and sons. And there's a little phrase uh, where we are told that the Lord, the Lord had closed her womb. All right? The Lord had shut her womb, as it were. And verse 6, and her adversary also, or first five, sorry, but unto Hannah he gave a double portion, worthy portion. He loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Seems a terrible, terrible phrase, doesn't it? A sad phrase. Shut up her womb. She couldn't have children. And what made it worse was the other lady, we called her Penny, all right? She was a nasty bit of goods. I won't go through all that again. But she was a nasty bit of goods and taunted uh, this, uh, this Hannah. Strangely enough, I made a few little comments last time, and I read a commentary again on this. And this man was an American. He said very similar things to what I said in respect of the, the nastiness of this woman, saying the kind of things she said. Oh, hi, hi, Hannah. How are you? Uh, or did you notice I was pregnant again? Isn't it strange? I always seem to be pregnant. And, and how it must have every little taunt. She was a nasty bit of goods. And you know how I described her. Anyway, so she's in, she's in the, uh, she, they've gone up to the house of the Lord again, and uh, um, we, we see her praying, pleading, crying unto the Lord. And uh, even, she's so concerned in her prayers that uh, Eli, who was the priest, he sees her, and she, she, she's, she's not praying audibly. She's, she, she's just pleading as if she's silently, but her, her, her lips are going. And uh, Eli said, that woman's drunk. What's the matter with the woman? How dare she be here? And, uh, and he rebukes her, and she says, I'm not drunk. I'm not a woman. I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I poured out my soul before the Lord. Here's this woman in anguish. She longs for children. That's a normal maternal instinct. And particularly made worse by this nasty taunt, um, taunts from a penae. Anyway, so we are told that uh, uh, Eli said, answer, Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thy petition that asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. And so the woman went away, did eat, and the countenance was no more sad. So that's where we finished last time. So, next question is. What happened next? Well, verse 19 tells us, And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped. That's the first thing I want us to start with. They worshipped. In the midst of these difficulties <coughs> and trials and um, problems, they still worshipped the Lord. Thank God that we can still worship Whatever our difficulties, whatever our trials, we can worship the Lord. I think there's a little verse, isn't it, in Job, all Job's trials and difficulties. And we're told uh, he doesn't blame God. The Lord has blessed us. The Lord has given. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord. Thank God uh, for uh, men and women who, in spite of their circumstances, don't turn bitter towards God, but worship him as he deserves. And uh, so they worshipped uh, before the Lord and returned and came to their house. Um, and the, verse 19, remember this is the AV, and Elkanai knew Hannah, his wife. You say, well, of course he knew her. They've been together for how many years? Well, 
this is a little delicate way the Bible has, all right? And now you're adults, as far as I can tell, uh, and you will know if you're a Bible reader that this word actually means in the context of a physical knowledge, a physical union of man and wife together, all right? I, I hesitate to use the word S-E-X, but that's what it's about. But it's very gently put in the scriptures. The problem is, somebody of a modern age would read this and would think, no, of course he knew her. And that's why at Christmas, there's always a problem for some, isn't there, when they read um, Mary's reaction to the announcement by Gabriel. I know not a man. And of course she knew a man. She knew a man called Joseph. She was engaged to him. They were going to be married in the fullest sense. I, I know not a man. What does that mean? Well, it means that she had no physical union with any man. She knew, obviously, Joseph, presumably loved him, we're going to get married in the full sense, but at that stage, she'd never had any physical contact with a man sexually. And then, when you remember that Gabriel appears to, to Joseph and explains what's happening, that this uh, is betrothed wife of his is pregnant, uh, but it's not because she's had union with somebody else. And uh, don't fear to, to take her as your wife. All right? And then, um, you know, Gabriel speaks to him. And we, I'll have this little phrase in verse 25. And he knew her not. So somebody says, well, of course he knew her. He knew her before. He knew her after. He knew her. Uh, it means he had no sexual contact with her until after she gave birth, birth to Jesus. Now, we who believe what the Bible says, we take that literally, and we believe that after she, he did have a normal relationship with Mary, therefore there were sons and daughters born to them. The Roman Catholic Church would have us believe that Mary's virginity was perpetual. And we would say, well, what about these brothers and sisters he has? Um, half-brothers and sisters, if you like, in mention the Gospels. And they would say, ah, well, what it was, you see, Joseph was an old man, or older man, all right? Mary was a teenager, and these, he was a widower, and these were children he had by a previous wife. Now, that sounds plausible, but it doesn't fit in with the context. It doesn't fit in with the Bible, says. He knew her not till. So obviously, that means that he did afterwards, and that's why the children were born, were born to him and to Mary by normal, natural means. Okay. I'm sure you, didn't, you knew all that anyway. For Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Now, the Lord never forgot her. All right? The Lord never forgot her. But it's to emphasize that particularly and especially he remembered her in this instance and under these circumstances. And they, she said, verse 20, when it came to pass the time about, to, about after Hannah conceived, she had a son. Now I want to stress this. The, the son that Hannah had was born of natural means, i.e. man and a woman coming together. 
husband and wife coming together. It's natural means. Now, God oversaw this, if you like. God intervened in this. God, who had closed her womb, used the scriptures, shut her womb, opened the womb. God can shut and God can open as it pleases him. And in this case, God opened the womb and she conceived, but it was by a natural means. I'm stretching that that deliberately. And it was the case with many others in the Bible. Abram and Sarah. She's too old to have children. But then God blesses her. And by natural means, Abram and Sarah getting together. There's a baby produced, Isaac. And we could go through several. Um, uh, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, um, the parents of of Samson. Uh, the uh, Elisha and the, the Shunammite uh, couple, all right, and then even into the New Testament with Zach, Zach, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Here are natural means, but God overruling and God using natural means to bring forth this child. The great exception is, of course, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. This was. I often say to you, it wasn't a supernatural birth in as much as the birth was natural, but it was a supernatural conception. It was the conception, the Holy Spirit coming, overshadowing uh, Mary and miraculously bringing about the birth um, without any human intervention. It was an absolute miracle beyond us. The, the incarnation, is, it really blows your mind. There is no natural expla- way to explain it. God did it. And sometimes when I talk about the humanity of Christ, and some, I feel some might say, well, you, 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 you're really stretching it. You're almost making him out to be too human. You can never say Jesus was too human. Apart from sin, no sin. But otherwise, he was totally human, mind, body, will, emotions. He was totally human. But only God could do that. Only God could become man. That's the glory of the incarnation. Anyway, so she conceives and bears son and calls him Samuel, saying, because I have asked of him of the Lord. Now, if you looked it up, um, you would find that uh, the word means, the Hebrew word means asked of or heard of. And in a sense, it's the same thing, isn't it? She asked of God, and God heard her asking. And that asking hearing uh, plays a part throughout uh, this chapter and, and in other part, chapters in Samuel, in the Hebrew. It doesn't always come clear, because it might be translated slightly differently. But she asks, and God hears. And so Samuel means heard or asked of God. The psalm, the hearing, the asking, El, God as in El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now you think this little lad grows up, and every time she mentions his name, Samuel, time for dinner. Samuel, come on. Samuel, do this. Samuel, do that. Every time his name is mentioned, asked of God, heard of God, asked of God, heard of God. What a blessing his very name would be. And as you go through uh, the, 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 the book of Samuel, the asking and the hearing are so important, so important. I've just been reading again um, when Saul uh, asks advice from a spiritualist. How sad is that? 
because he's asked of God and God has not heard him, so he says. I mean, asking and hearing is very important. And we obviously need to bear that in mind. Okay, so let's move on a little bit. Um, verse 21, And the man Elkanai and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice of his vow. Hannah didn't go up, right? A little bit of domestic arrangements here. Hannah went up, but she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, child be weaned. then I will bring him, and he may be appear for the Lord, and there abide forever. Now, I go carefully here. I was thinking about this. I thought, you be careful now, Lashon, right? You don't offend anybody, but you do want to be faithful to Scripture. What are the reasons people give for not attending a place of worship? Now, I'm thinking not so much of the outsiders, right, who couldn't care less, but what about the insiders? What about you and me? And I go carefully because obviously there are genuine reasons why people don't come. All right? Um, I, I'm sure I can use a little actual examples now because uh, you, you know the situation. Dear Jill, we love Jill. She's a lovely, godly lady. We're thankful for all she does, and particularly with the ladies' work and hospitality and so on, right? Now, if Jill could be here this morning, she would be here, all right? She would crawl you, all right, if need be. But um, she sent me a little text earlier on, and you can almost see her kind of with sorrow in her eyes. I'm so sorry, I can't be there this morning. I've got this COVID and all that. And I just feel for her. Now, that's a genuine reason. Genuine reason. And there are others who've got genuine reasons for not coming. Um, uh, uh, poor Lillian is not well, all right? And uh, it's a long way to crawl from wherever it is, uh, lover. But uh, she would love to be here. She would love to be here, even though I tease her a little bit. She'd love to be here, but she's not. Now, there are genuine reasons. But then others, sometimes you think, you know, that's not a good reason. I've heard most of them. I have heard most of them as a pastor. I have heard them folk, and they say what they say, and I think, hmm. And this is the test. Would you use that reason to stop you going to someone somewhere that was very important to you. Right? You think about that. I'm sorry I can't come to church today because whatever. Okay. Well, there's something on. Um, whatever it is. It could be a football match. It could be a concert. It could be relatives. Um, but you're well enough to go there. And you see, see my problem? If you're not well enough to go here, how come you're well enough to go there? If you're too busy to go here, how come you're not busy enough to go there? I've often mentioned to you that in Stanmore, uh, the manse was next to the church, and the main road was there, and often my mommy study, for my study, I could look out in the main road, and there was a little old lady, about 80 odd, 80 plus, and she used to go with her son every morning, about nine o'clock, half past eight, nine o'clock, past my church around the corner to another church and 
I knew her, and, and if I saw her, she saw me, I'd give her a little wave, and she'd smile a little wave. And you know, that lady, thick and thin, storms, weather, whatever. The weather never stopped her. It was amazing. She just, she just walked round the corner, and, up, and I thought, wow, what a challenge she is. And I hesitated to tell you, but she was going to the Catholic Church, going to Mass. Now, this is challenging. This is down-to-earth, bread-and-butter stuff. If you've got strength enough to go somewhere else, you've got strength enough to come to the church. Well, I leave it at that, and uh, you work it out in your own way. But don't make excuses. Okay, so she, this is a reasonable, right? Reasonable. She's weaning the child, and she's time to skate home until... Um, until I weaned him. And verse 24 says, And when she had weaned him, he took him, that's Elkanah, he took him with her. Now, it's not an excuse with her, for when she is able, right? When she is able, she goes to worship. She goes to fulfill her vow. She hasn't forgotten God. They go as a family to worship. And we are told with three bullocks and one heifer of flour and a bottle of wine, and they brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young, possibly about three. Now, I'm going to stop at the moment with the three bullocks. What on earth is that about? What does it mean? What does it matter? Well, let me suggest something to you. This is the offering that the family are making to God for the blessing of the son. All right? And three bullocks, probably the three years. Right? And if for a flower and a bottle of wine. It's, if I can use such a phrase, it's a posh offering. It's a posh offering. If there was a scale of offerings, and there are, this is, we would be near the top. And obviously we already know he's a wealthy man, all right? He can afford two wives, all right? So he can afford this. So he is bringing the best that he has to God. He is worshipping the Lord as best he can. Now, there's a little contrast I want to bring to you. Um, connected with babies and birth. And if you remember, uh, Luke records for us that after the eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, that is, in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? Um, that when the days of her purification according to the Lord of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So they are in a similar way to Elkanah, possibly not the same ceremony, but something similar. They go into the house of God to worship, to thank God for his blessing, to thank God for um, the gift of the child according to the law. And according to the law, you would offer a, a sacrifice. Now, the sacrifice is varied. If you had the money and the wealth and the property and the animals and so forth, you'd give the best. But what if you didn't? 
What if we were a poor little family? Bear in mind that uh, Joseph was a carpenter. And uh, I think I've said previously, uh, carpenters today, uh, they earn good money, as we say. My grandson in Switzerland, he's a carpenter and joiner, and he earns mega bucks. Well, he would in Switzerland, doesn't he? Right? We're talking mega bucks here. And uh, carpenter, well-paid job, as often is the case here in, in the UK. But back in the day, a carpenter would have been more of an odd job man. All right? And these fine carvings and the rest of it, that would have been, most of it would be very drum down to earth, literally work, all right? and, uh, and paid very little, and often pay, presumably paid in kind. And the poor folk amongst whom he, he, he lived, uh, Joseph, would do their own carpentry, put their up, own fences up, and knock up uh, an old door themselves or whatever they did. So they were a poor family. How do I know that they were a poor family? Well, because the offering they brought were not bullocks or lambs and goats and all that kind of good, fine stuff. What we are told they brought was a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. What? A couple of birds? A couple of birds? Uh, I put seed out for the birds every morning. Thankfully, I've got a nice patio doors. I can look, sit down, have my breakfast, and look through onto the patio where the birds come and pick up the seed. That would be enough to get a little bird table I made, and they come. Um, mainly sparrows. Well, that blesses me. You say, what on earth are you talking about? It blesses me to see the sparrows. Why does it bless me to see the sparrows? Because I remember an old song, His Eyes on the Sparrows. And I know he watches me. Do you remember that, some of you old folk? Right. The wonderful, right? Might be George Beverly Shea or Mahalia Jackson. I don't know. Anyway. But uh, his eyes on the sparrow. And I see these sparrows flit in, flit out, flit in. Yes. God's eyes on the sparrow. And he's on me to eat in my breakfast. Hallelujah. Now, but amongst, also, there's a couple of turtle doves. Well, they're turtle doves. They're ring-collared doves. And they fly in. A couple of years back, there were two of them. I see Mr. and Mrs. Then there were four of them. Now, there's six of them. Now, I'm not sure they're all connected, right? And I'm not going to take a DNA for them, but, I mean, I'm assuming they're connected. I may be wrong. And they fly in, they fly out, and it's nice to see them. But the pigeons, I don't like pigeons, all right? And, but there's so many of them. Now, here, what are, we, what are we talking about, Connie? They are so poor, the only thing they can offer is a pair of pigeons. But God accepts this sacrifice. I wonder if sometimes you think, you know, it's all very well. You're up the front, Colin, and you do a bit of preaching. And I said, but I'm an ordinary little bloke. I'm an ordinary, I'm an, I'm an ordinary little woman. I, I, there's not much I can do for God. There's not much I can bring to God. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. You are two pigeons, spiritually speaking. Bring glory to God and honor to God. You bring what you have. You bring what you are. And say, Lord, bless me and use me. Uh, whatever you do, however you do it, but do it for your glory. I want to be useful in the kingdom. We'll have a bit more of this tonight, God willing. But I want to be useful in the kingdom. And you can be if you bring your offerings to the Lord.
Well, so she comes and they bring this offering and uh, we're told in verse 25, and they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O Lord, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee praying unto the Lord. Right? So she reminds Eli, you remember that woman you thought was drunk? Who wasn't drunk? And you blessed her, prayed for her. Well, here I am. Here I am. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has given me my petition, which I has asked of him. Eh? Asked, Samuel, name, see there. And this child I prayed. The Lord has given me my petition. I've asked of him. She reminded Eli of her prayer. Jehovah. Yahweh heard me. Yahweh gave me that for which I asked. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be Yahweh. He's the God who hears and the God who answers prayer. Dear ones, Yahweh is still the same. He hears. He answers prayer. He never not hears. He never not answers. Now I should say, not always in the way we expect. Not always in the way we want. Sometimes our prayers are a bit peculiar and they're off center and the Lord says no you want that but I'm not going to give it to you because it's not good for you I'm sure most of us who are parents have had to say in some way or another you're not having more sweets why not I want more sweets because more sweets are not good for you be bold be strong say no Children are dictating to parents these days. By the way, I mustn't go down there. But you know what I'm talking about. And a, a sensible parent will say, that's not good for you. I'm not going to give you that. But I tell you what, you can have something else. It's a bit of apple. <laughs> I don't like apple. Here's a nice Brussels sprout. Anyway. God hears. Oh, this is, this is, you know this, don't you? you? I don't need to tell you this, but I will, right? This God who cares for the sparrows, how much more, says Jesus, how much more does God care for you? you you've been evil, no, to give good gifts to your children. How much more should a Heavenly Father give good things, give the Holy Spirit to them ask you? The biggest reason we don't have blessing is because we don't ask for it. And we don't ask for it aright. God hears. Thank God God hears. When Paul prays for the Ephesians in chapter 3, this is how he, he ends that little prayer. Now let me read it to you exactly so we don't get it wrong. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above. Have we got that? Exceedingly, abundantly, above. All that we can ask or think. According to the power that works in us. What power is working in us? The power of God. And to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Throughout all the ages, we will end. Amen. And to him who is able. God is able. Hallelujah. And then, 
verse 28. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth, and he should, as long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. Do you remember the promise? Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I'll give him back to you. And he will be yours, and you will, he will serve you, and live for you, and do what you want him to do for you. Now, it's one thing to make that vow. What happens three years later when you've got this little lad and you've fed him, you've cared for him, you looked after him, and he's such part of the family now and, and he's your firstborn. Oh, he's so precious. Now you've got to give him away. That must be so hard. I know some young mothers who've had to return to work um, following the birth of a child and uh, it is so hard it is so hard to, to give that child to someone else perhaps in the family perhaps a childminder or whatever it's so hard and, and uh, some do it almost with tears in their eyes but she comes and says Lord this is what I promised here he is. If you make vows to the Lord, you must keep them. It may be hard, it may be difficult, but you must keep them. And that's why the verse which talks about better not to make vows, than to make vows and not keep them. Uh, there's a sad case in Judges when a man makes a promise, a vow to the Lord. If he gives him victory, then whatever comes out of the house first, he'll sacrifice that to the Lord. And remember, it's his own daughter comes out. Now, I'm not going to go further with that because it is a problem, but that's there. He, he wasn't wise in what he promised. He wasn't wise in making this vow, and it backfired big time. And then it ends, and we'll end in this, on this in a moment. Therefore, so I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives, that he should be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. He started in a sense, verse 3, and they went up to worship every year. In verse 19, and they worshipped for the Lord. The last thing we're told in this chapter is that he, presumably Samuel, he worshipped the Lord there. The whole emphasis is on the worship of God, the worship of Yahweh, the worship of Jehovah. It is so important. This is so important. Worship. I'm not talking, just talking about Sunday worship. That's important. But worship must continue on Monday morning, on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Worship must never stop. Now, we may not be singing hymns all day long. We may not be praying. We may not be reading our Bibles all day long. But the attitude, the spirit of worship must be with us all the time. All the time, things that we see and hear and do uh, should cause us to worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that as I come into to, to the service, all the lights go green. Praise the Lord, I'll be there on time. And the lights change to red. Thank you, Lord, that the, the lights are red, because I need to hear, learn the patience of just being here and saying, Hallelujah. Every part of our lives must be full of worship. 
we're not good at it. I am not good at it. Day by day by day by day, we should worship God through the day, being conscious God is blessing us more than we know. And then finally, little question. This little family of themselves are not important. What makes them important, what makes Hannah important, is that she has a son called Samuel who will be used of God in his purposes for Israel regarding kingship, leadership, and so on in the years to come. God made this little family important because of who and what God is and because of them. How important are you? I look at this little company, little motley bunch, and I don't know you that well in the sense of who you are, what you do, your job, your occupation, what you've done in the times past. But as far as I know, right, you are not very important. I include myself there, right? We are not very important. Um, if somebody mentions your, your name to someone, they say, who's he? Who's she? Now, forgive me. You may be important. You may be the top man in group one. Who knows? You may be the top person in the peachy uh, head chaplaincy. Who knows? You may be the person to whom you go for. I don't know. Forgive me if I'm belittling you or demeaning you. I don't mean to. But generally speaking, we're not that important. I think I've told you previously in a different context. When I was a little lad growing up in the village, people would say, whose little boy are you? They say, what's your name, Colin Nation? Whose boy are you? Stuart Nation. Ah. They knew Stuart. They knew my father. Um, not for the best reasons in the sense because he had TB and he was ill and people knew him for that reason. Not that he was a good darts player, as he was. Are you important? Well, if you're honest, we're not that important in the great scheme of things. But this is the blessing. In the scheme of God, which matters most, you are so important. If you're in Christ this morning, if you belong to the Lord Jesus this morning, if you trusted in him as your Savior and your Lord because he died for your sins and rose again the third day, if you are in Christ, you are so important. And I'm not going to exaggerate when I say to you, there's nobody more important in the whole world than you. You say, no, come on, Colin, you, you, you're going a bit over the top here, right? Come, 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 come down, come back to earth, Colin, right? No, I won't. I won't come down to earth. I'll stay in the heavenly places. I'll stay in the heavenly realms and tell you what God's word says to you and to me. If you're in Christ, you are so important. And God will move heaven and earth for you and did prove it. Well, he gave his son. From heaven to earth, be born as a baby, to live, to die, and rise again. Why? Because you're so important to him. Because he wants your fellowship and he wants your worship. 
and he wants your service, and he wants you. One of the most remarkable verses, I think, in the whole of Scripture is found in John 17, where the Lord Jesus is talking about his love for the Father and the Father's love for him. And then he says this, you know, if it wasn't written in black and white, I think, no, I can't be right. Jesus says, and the love that you have for me is the love I have for them. What? Jesus is equating the Father's love for the Son and the the love the Son has for the Father with the love that the Father and the Son have for the likes of you and the likes of me. Can that be true? Honestly, can it be true? If a preacher said that, if an angel said that, I think, well, I don't know, I think you're going a bit too far there. Yes, God loves me, but not that much. Yes, that much. Because the Bible says so. Because the Bible says so. Because Jesus says so. And he knows. And he knows. This family, not very important. But God made them important. Who knows? That you may speak to someone, pray for someone, give someone a little tract. And they may become mightily used of God. Even though nobody will ever know you. I had a conversation with Dick Lucas. Dick Lucas, Dick Saunders, uh, whom you knew. I had a conversation with Dick. And I was telling him that um, Billy Graham was converted by an unknown preacher, unknown to me. And I said, I guess there's probably nobody who knows who this preacher was. Everybody heard about Billy Graham and all that God used him to do and blessed him and so on. But the preacher who was used to bring Billy Graham to faith, nobody's ever heard of. Dick said, I know him. <laughs> right? I know him. He knew him when he knew the story and, he, and so on. He said, so he must be the only person in the whole of the world, apart from me, who knew. Uh, that's not true, but you know what I mean. He knew. This man, you've never, I can't remember his name. Right, he knew. Right, uh, Dick knew him. That God and God used that man to bring. Oh, that's, I love that. I love that because we're ordinary folk. Let's pretend. Let's not pretend. We're ordinary folk. We're not in the great thing, scheme of things. We're not that important as the world counts it. But God can take us, take you, take me. And so bless us that someone will come into the kingdom and they will be mightily used of God. And we'll say, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being that teeny, weeny, little cog in a great big cosmic affecting glorious gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Hannah and Samuel, little baby Samuel. We thank you there's so much that will happen in the coming years to uh, that family and to Samuel. And we just thank you, Father, that there were such humble beginnings. Nobody's not very important. Yet it pleased you to use nobodies. People are not important. To bring about your great sovereign purposes. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and, and base things and things which are not to bring to naught things that are 
that no flesh should glory in his presence. All the glory, all the honor is yours, Lord, yours, Lord. Blessed be your name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to sing a hymn, 592-592. Through the love of God our Savior, all will be well. Free and changeless is his favor. All, all is well. Precious is the blood that healed us. Perfect is the grace that sealed us. Strong the hand stretched forth, stretched forth to shield us. All must be well. 592.
famous, if you are now, whatever. 